Salutations, listeners. You are listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. And I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz. And it is our mission here at the Dr. Jazz Podcast to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and the majesty of jazz music. In this episode, we are finally taking on something that a few have asked me, like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? When are you going to do the, the, the episode? You know, the episode. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I could go this route. I could go that route. I'm just not really sure. Well, I've just dove in, and this is, we're doing it. Our spotlight is on Jelly Roll Morton. That's right. And we're going to be talking about Jelly Roll. We're going to be listening to some Jelly Roll music. Uh, for the most part, we're going to let Jelly Roll explain himself because there are so many great uh, anecdotes from the Library of Congress recordings that Alan Lomax made with Jelly Roll Morton, and Jelly Roll Morton was more than willing to talk. So we're going to be uh, letting Jelly Roll basically discuss himself because a lot of folks don't realize that those recordings are out there. And this is a very special um, episode of the Dr. Jazz podcast because the whole namesake... Dr. Jazz, you know, uh, the fact of what you hear in the background, this is all um, inspired by Jelly Roll Morton. So, I mean, he is one of the founding fathers of jazz. He is one of the architects, if not the architect. And we're going to get into that as well. So this is going to be a little bit of a lengthy one, by the way, as a precursor and a warning. This episode will feature some explicit language. So, if you're underage, you shouldn't be listening to this because there is an explicit language symbol on this podcast. So, without further ado, lights, camera, put on your earbuds, it's Jelly Roll time. Thank you. 
and get you. Daytime church bell ringing. Man, you don't hear no church bell ringing 12 o'clock in the day. Yes, indeed. Somebody must be dead. Ain't nobody dead. Somebody must be dead drunk. No, I think it's a funeral. Hey, look here. I believe there is a funeral. I believe I hear that trombone phone. <laughs>
course, everybody in the city of New Orleans was always organization-minded, which I guess the world knows. And a, a dead man always belonged to several organizations, such as clubs and, uh, we'll say, secret order, and those so forth and so on. And every time one died, why, nine out of ten, there was always a big band turnout. When the day that he was supposed to be buried, never buried at night, always in the day. And, of course, a lot of times right in the heart of the city, the burial would take place. Well, at, at when the band would start, why, we know that the man was fixing to be buried. So you could hear the band come up the street before they would get to the, to the place where the gentleman was to be taken in for his last ride. And they would play different dead marches. And on leaving, this would be the march that would usually start the plane. Flee as the bird to the mountain. When they would enter the graveyard, some of them call them cemeteries and so forth and so on, very seldom they would bury them in the deep. They would never bury them in the mud. They'd always bury them in a vault. And they'd leave the graveyard, as they call it, while the band would get ready to strike up. They'd have a second line behind them, well, maybe a couple of blocks long, with broomsticks, baseball bats, and all forms of ammunition, we'd call it to combat some of their four when they come to the to the dividing line. And of course they'd start. The band would get started to hear the drums.
right. So we got to hear um, a little bit there about Jelly Roll Morton talking about New Orleans funerals because the last tune that we heard uh, was Dead Man Blues, which was uh, recorded. Let's see. Dead Man Blues was actually recorded uh, September 21st, 1926. Um, Barney Begard. Darrell Darnell Howard on clarinets. Um, Marty Bloom was on all the sound effects, and um, the dialogue is between that we heard is between actually Jelly Roll Morton and Johnny Saint Cyr, um, <clears throat> the same Johnny Saint Cyr who's famous for the Louis Armstrong Hot Five and Hot Seven recordings. Of course, also on that recording was George Mitchell on the cornet, the great Kid Ori on trombone, Omer Simeon um, was also on clarinet. Of course, Jelly Roll was on the piano, Johnny St. Cyr was on the banjo, John Lindsay was on bass, Andrew Hilaire was on drums, and it was recorded at the Webster Hotel in Chicago, September, I'm sorry, uh, in um, September 21st, 1926. And then uh, before that, we heard Wild Man Blues. And Wild Man Blues uh, was a similar band. Uh, a couple of changes. Um, George Mitchell was on cornet. Gerald Reeves on trombone. Johnny Dodds was on clarinet. Uh, Paul Stump Evans is on the alto sax. Jelly Roll was on the piano. Bud Scott was on the guitar. Quinn Wilson on the tuba. Baby Dodds on the drums. So you had both of the Dodds right there. And, um, yeah, Lou Mar, wa- Lou Lamar was on Wild Man Blues. And um, that was recorded in Chicago at the Victor Talking Machine Recording Laboratory <laughs> on June 4th, 1927. Um, before that, we heard Black Bottom Stomp, one of the greats. And that was from the same first band on a recording date on September 15th, 1926 at the Webster Hotel. And then we started off the whole set with the King Oliver composition. As much as it sounds like a Jelly Roll one, it's not. It was a King Oliver composition entitled Dr. Jazz, who this podcast is named for. And... um, yeah, and that was recorded um, December 16th, 1926. Mm, mm, mm. And um, this is all part of Jelly Roll Morton's Red Hot Peppers band from um, 1926 and 1927 and recorded in Chicago. And you can find this version that I've been playing for you from the Bluebird record label called Birth of the Hot. And it's all uh, the classic Chicago Red Hot Pepper Sessions by Jelly Roll Morton. Now, uh, what's interesting here, a couple of things to talk about. Dr. Jazz, like I said, even though it sounds like it was a Jelly Roll Morton composition, was actually written by uh, Joseph King Oliver. And... Um, Wild Man Blues was originally um, labeled when it was published Ted Lewis Blues, although Louis Armstrong had recorded it, I think, twice before with his Hot Fives and Hot Sevens. So 
don't know why it was called Ted Lewis Blues, but it's Wild Man Blues, and it's um, more of a trad jazz standard. And then we ended um, with Dead Man Blues, which has Jelly Roll Morton talking about uh, basically, you know, what is that noise I hear? What is those church bells ringing at 12 o'clock in the daytime? You know, it must be a funeral. And what's really important to that is the fact that he's talking about like a New Orleans funeral. And he's bringing that culture of New Orleans up to Chicago where he's recording with these cats who are like New Orleans cats. And he's actually putting it on record. And that's why it's so important, you know, because there's a whole tradition about you know, dying and funerals in New Orleans. And that's why I, I, I let him explain kind of like funeral marches and the whole New Orleans thing, you know, where you play, you know, flee as uh, a bird uh, on the way to the graveside, you know, and then once the deed is done, you know, the, the preacher says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. They put the body usually in a mausoleum because, you know, it's New Orleans. It's under the water table. And then you swing like mad coming back. You know, oh, didn't he ramble? And so that's what he was talking about there at the end. What's also special is that he was not shy about putting his vocals, you know, on on record. And that is very evident from our very first tune that we heard, Dr. Jazz, because that is actually the very first time Jelly Roll Morton's voice was recorded. We actually get to hear his infectious vocals for the very first time in his storied career on that record. Now, Jelly Roll Morton was not a shy character, as I said. Um, we don't even know. He's the closest thing, let's put it this way, he's the closest thing that we have to a pirate you know, in the jazz world. You just don't know a lot about him, but you just love him. Um... <laughs> we think that he was born around October 20th, 1890. Perhaps. Nothing's really for sure. And um, his real name was Ferdinand Joseph Lamoth. And he was better known as Jelly Roll Morton. And we're going to get to that later. Uh, he could play ragtime. He, could, he was a jazz pianist for the most part band leader and composer. But what's really important and what cements Jelly Roll's part in jazz history is that he was the very first one to put it all on paper, to put it in actual written music. Jazz up to this point had been more like an aural art form. You know, you just play what you hear and let me play it for you, son. You pick it up and then come on, you know, blow a couple of notes and join in. And that's just the way it was. But Jelly Roll was the first to put it down on paper. And not just that, he was the first to really accurately express all of those roles of the trombone, of the clarinet, of the, of the, the trumpet, and, and that counterpoint between them and how the rhythm section functioned and put it all on paper. He was literally pinning culture to paper and that's one of the reasons that he was just so important he was also the very first arranger in jazz so he could manipulate certain situations and things like that musically speaking and make it sound accurate on paper so that it could be recreated 
And on top of that, he was not shy. So he would come out and say, like, I am the one who invented jazz music. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he said in 1902 that he was, he, he claimed to invent jazz in 1902. And this is a big dividing point for a lot of people because people who are critics like Scott Yanow, he says like he didn't he did a lot of harm to himself posthumously by exaggerating his worth because his accomplishments are so vast that he didn't need to stretch the truth. But because he was, you know, conceited, nobody really likes Jelly Roll Nobody likes, you know, uh, a braggart. Well, braggadocious or not, um, he is important and you, you usually love him or you hate him. You know, there's not a lot of in-between with Jelly Roll Morton. Um, and then we're going to be talking about this in, in these breaks a little bit more. But that just kind of gives you a personality. He was kind of like the first Kanye. You know, he really was. I know that Kanye hates to be th- thought of as somebody who was like Kanye before Kanye. But this guy was really it. And we're going to be taking a, uh, uh, an in-depth look at him on in between the um, the set breaks here. So thank you for listening. Uh, lots, lots, lots more great music coming at you. Uh, remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz podcast on all of your podcasts, uh, wherever you find them, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So please subscribe. You can also check out our website that has information on all of our episodes, including album art and track information. So that way you know exactly what to get when you are ordering this great music or you're going and digging through your local record store. So please support these estates, support the artists, support local businesses if you can as well. All right. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter so that you know when every podcast episode drops. You can follow us at NDH Jazz. All right. Now, let's get back to some more great music from Jelly Roll Morton.
Porter King, as I before stated. And, of course, he seemed to have a kind of a yearn for my style of playing, although we had two different styles of playing. And, of course, he particularly liked this type of number that I was playing, and that was the reason that I named it after him, but not Porter King. I changed the name backwards and named it King Porter Stomp. Now, this tune become to be the outstanding favorite of every great hot band throughout the world that had the accomplishments and qualifications of playing it. And until today, this tune has been the cause of many great bands to come to fame. It has caused the outstanding tunes today to, uh, to use the backgrounds that belong to King Porter in order to make great tunes of themselves. Uh, this tune was wrote the same year as Alabama Bound, in 1905. It was wrote the same time with another tune that I wrote. Of course, I never got any credit for it. Mr. Williams, Clarence Williams, got the credit for it. It was, you can have it, I don't want it. Uh, well, it went something like this. It was just a lot of foolish words to you. You can have it, I don't want it. Papa Lord God, take it from me. Papa Lord God, take it from me. sound so good, see, but uh, Clarence Williams thought it was all right, and he'd taken the number, and it was really his first hit. It was my material, because I used to, in fact, I happened to be the man that taught Mr. Williams how to play. And, of course, I don't intend to say anything unless it's real facts, and it's really fact. Of course, we'll finish up by playing King Porter Stomp, do you think? Why didn't, uh, why didn't you ever copyright any of these tunes? Well, I'll tell you why we didn't copyright them. We didn't copyright them for, that is, for a great reason, not only me, but a many other. Why the publishers thought that they could buy anything they wanted for $15, $20. Well, the fact was that at that particular time, the sporting houses were all over the country, and you could go in any town. If you was a good piano player, just as soon as you hit town, you had 10 jobs waiting for you. So we all made a lot of money, and 10 or 15 or 20 or $100 didn't mean very much to us during those days. I'd really like to see those days back again. I'm telling you the truth. They were wonderful days. So the publishers, we didn't give them anything. So they decided we know a way to get them, so that a lot of publishers would come out with tunes, our melodies, and they would steal them. But we kept them for our private material. That is, to battle each other in battles of music. Battles of music is old, ages old. And, of course, if we had the best material, we was considered one of the best men. And, of course, the best player always had the best jobs. And the best jobs always meant plenty of money. When I made $100 a day, I thought I had a small day. And now today, if I make 10 I think I've got a great day. That's how that was. Is there any other information you would like to ask? All right. So we just heard in Jelly Roll Morton's own words the story 
kind of behind King Porter Stomp, which was the last tune that we heard. And this past set that you just really listened to focused on not Jelly Roll Morton as a band leader or as the arranger, but as the pianist extraordinaire. Because he really was. Um, <laughs> this guy really could do it all. And um, we heard King Porter Stomp, and then before, to, as the last tune of that set. Uh, and then before that, we heard a really busy tune that he called Finger Buster. And then we opened up the set with New Orleans Joys. Now, the thing about it is um, Finger Buster was actually recorded in December of 1938. And he wrote it because um, he was tired of people just kind of copying his songs and just playing them and making money off of his songs and him not getting really uh, many royalties or exposure, you know, credit. So, because he was very concerned with, you know, credit. He wanted to make sure that um, whenever you're playing that, you're playing Jelly Roll. Whenever you play this kind of music, you're playing Jelly Roll. So, yeah. Uh, and then the bookends, uh, like I said, New Orleans Joys and the King Porter Stomp were both recorded on the exact same day. And that was July 17th, 1923. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting, we already heard the backstory about King Porter Stomp, but if you'll, if you need to, go back and listen to the very first set, uh, or the very first song in that set, New Orleans Joys. What's really interesting about it, there's, and this is all the way back to July of 23, there's a little part, a little riff that he repeats. Well, I don't know how much New Orleans piano you've really heard, but when I heard that, my jaw dropped because it was years later before I made the connection, but I said, oh my God, that's the mess around. And sure enough, that is the exact same riff that Professor Longhair and Dr. John and all those New Orleans pianists use on Mess Around. And it's just odd that it came from Jelly Roll. So it kind of supports a little bit of the myth to the man that... Well, yeah, when you hear Professor Longhair, when you hear Fess and Mac play Mess Around, well, you're hearing Jelly Roll. So, there's some uh, interesting bits there. So, um, you know, he alluded to some of this, like when he was um, in, in that story about the King Porter style, he was talking about when he was working at these sporting houses. If you're not sure what a sporting house is, it is a house of ill repute, a brothel, a prostitution house, whatever you want to call it, and there were loads of them in the Storyville or the Red Light District of New Orleans. And in a lot of the bigger cities, there were Red Light Districts, but New Orleans was probably the most famous out of all of them, and probably because of all the great music, and um, because they treated the patrons very, very well. And by the age of 14. Now, if he was born in 
1890. That puts him at 1904. Yeah, 1904, playing in these brothels. And he sa- he often sang smutty lyrics and used the name Jelly Roll, which was uh, African-American slang for female genitalia. But there's a million stories about that that we'll get to later. While working there, he was living with his church-going great-grandmother. He convinced her that he worked as a night watchman in a barrel factory. And after Morton's grandmother found out he was playing jazz in a brothel, she disowned him for disgracing the Lamoth name. When, and he said, there's a quote that says, When my grandmother found out that I was playing jazz in one of the sporting houses in the district, she told me that I had disgraced the family and forbade me to live at the house. She told me that devil music would surely bring about my downfall. And um, then Rex Stewart, the great cornetist, um, recall that Jelly Roll had chosen the nom de plume Morton to protect his family name from disgrace if he was actually identified as a whorehouse professor. They used to call the piano players professors back in the day. So that's one potential piece to the puzzle that he didn't want to dis- you know, disgrace his family name. Uh, so he changed it from Lamott to Morton. And the joke goes that he told his grandmother he was working as a night watchman, which wasn't a complete lie because they used to have these um, peepholes that the professors or piano players would be able to watch the, uh, the girls turning tricks on the clients. And... The reason for that was not necessarily voyeurism. The reason for that was actually so that they could create more choreographed music, if you will, to what the girls were doing to the clients. So if there was a little uh, twist in her uh, act, in her striptease, then maybe there'd be a little twist in the music of the piano or a little trill in the piano, you know, like a little high note or something like that. So, um, yeah, it was definitive choreography. So he was a night watchman. He was definitely watching at night, and he was working as a night watchman, so it wasn't a complete lie. So, (laughs) and um, another thing is that I'm not really going in chronological order because Jelly Roll's life and his music is so vast and it's full of such variety that would be so boring to just do a chronological array of Jelly Roll's tunes. So we're skipping around. This music actually came before the first music that you heard, which is on the Red, the Red Hot Peppers um, band from 1926 to 1927. So we started there, and now we're working our way back to 1923. And, um, yeah, and uh, there's some great, great music coming up here. So we're going to be talking about that Spanish tinge. You're listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. (laughs) 
course, you got to have these little pinches of Spanish in it uh, in order to play real good jazz. Uh, jazz has a foundation that must be very prominent, especially with the bass sections, in order to give a great background, uh, plus what's called riffs today, uh, which was known as figures, but figures has, hasn't always been in the dance bands. I'll give you an idea what uh, the, the idea of Spanish there is in the blues. said that maybe the whole tune belonged to me, although my name is on it. It's supposed to be arranged by Mr. Joe Jordan, but these arrangements were made also by myself. Uh, there's a man that used to teach me to play piano. I'll have to give him credit for some contribution to this tune. His name was Frank Richards. He was older than I was. He was on the ragtime order, but he was a very good player as far as it went, although he was incapable of instructing anybody along music in the very, that is, for a very short ways, that's all he could go. He couldn't go very far because he didn't know so very much about music himself. But at least in the early days, in my beginning on piano, he was the first one that started my instructions, and I thank him greatly for that. His name is Frank Richards. I mentioned it before, but I want to be sure that they get his name correctly. Frank Richards. Mm -hmm. What part of the blues did he contribute? Uh, well, I, I claim that his, his contribution was more in the perfection way. Uh, the melodies were all mine, but I believe that he could do much better than I could with it because uh, he made a lot of corrections that probably would have gone maybe haywire. And of course, I've kept the tune ever since. It's one of my first tunes. As, uh, as I before said, maybe you may be able to uh, notice the Spanish tinge, but you must have a powerful background. Uh, for instance, those days, they used La Paloma was uh, one of the great Spanish tunes. You know, New Orleans was inhabited with maybe every race on the face of the globe. And, of course, we had Spanish people. There are plenty of them, and plenty of French people. Of course, I'll, I may demonstrate a little bit of La Paloma uh, to show you that the tinge is really in there. Different color. It really 
All right, so we got to hear uh, Jelly Roll there talking about the Spanish tinge in jazz music, and we got to hear three great examples in Mamanita, which was actually for his wife, Anita, and uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, the Crave, which has been very popular throughout Morton's lifetime and passed since he's passed on. And then we start off the set with Spanish SWAT. And these are all extended kind of tunes that have this. Some people say it's a tango rhythm. Some people call it a habanera rhythm. Um, it's definitely got that dotted quarter, dotted quarter, quarter note beat, which when slowed down has that exact same tempo uh, at that that you heard it, it creates this kind of especially when paired with minor keys you have this but the thing about it is is that when you put it in major keys and you just arpeggiate one, three, five on a chord. I know I'm geeking out theory-wise here, but you go boom, doom, do, do, doom, do, do, boom, doom, boom, 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 boom. It becomes that second line rhythm, and that beat can be traced back here. To that same kind of habanero rhythm, uh, the rhythm of the Spanish tinge, if you will. So, yeah, it kind of goes back to Jelly Roll. The, the, I mean, the more puzzle pieces you start to look at, it goes back to Jelly Roll. So, um, and, you know, back in 1912, 1914,. Uh, Morton toured with his girlfriend Rosa Brown as a vaudeville act. So he was in vaudeville being a stage, you know, entertainer before living in Chicago for three years. By 1914, he was putting his compositions on paper as early as 1914. Now, just to put some historical reference on that, the first jazz record by the original Dixieland Jazz Band was 1917. So there you go. So he was already starting to put compositions on paper by 1914, three years earlier. And in 1915, Jelly Roll Blues was one of the first jazz compositions to be published. Two years later, he went to California with bandleader William Manuel Johnson and his sister, Manu Johnson's sister, Anita Gonzalez, who later became... Jelly Roll's wife. Jelly Roll's tango or uh, piece called, this particular article calls it a tango, The Crave was very popular in Hollywood. He was invited to perform at a nightclub in Vancouver, Canada. Author Mark Miller describes his arrival as an extended period of itinerancy as a pianist, vaudeville performer, gambler, 
hustler, and, as legend would have it, pimp. Morton returned to Chicago in 1923 to claim authorship of The Wolverine Blues, which had become popular, or The Wolverines, which had become popular as Wolverine Blues. He released the very first commercial recordings, first as piano rolls and then on record, both as a piano soloist and with jazz bands, which later became what we started off this whole podcast with was recordings by the Red Hot Peppers. Now, I will say that on top of all those things, I have read that that is true, that he was a gambler, a vaudeville performer, a pianist, uh, a hustler, uh, a pimp, that he actually was a pool shark. There's a great story about him hustling one of the bad men of New Orleans, Mr. Aaron Harris, uh, for some money. (laughs) He could have gotten killed over, you know, being a pool shark with him. There's also the story about Jelly Roll being a snake oil peddler. He used to go, he was hard up for money, and he would go door to door with this buddy of his that they cooked up this idea that if they got Coca-Cola and salt and mixed it together with a little bit of extra water and put it in these uh, special vials that he called it like a miracle cure elixir. And he went door to door and he was selling this like snake oil that would help cure everybody. Now keep in mind that at the time, Coca-Cola was actually made with trace amounts of actual cocaine. So it probably made him feel a lot different, especially with like salt and, and it's a little watered down. So yeah, I mean, this dude was a pirate. He really was a pirate. And you either just shake your head and you laugh at something like this, just at the gall and the gumption, or you're totally disgusted by it. So he is one of those polarizing figures within the jazz world that for all the ingenuity and genius moves musically, there were these crazy stories that accompanied him. So that's what we're here. We are shedding light on the great... Jelly Roll Morton on this edition of the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find your podcasts. Apple, Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Feel free to leave us a comment or a review. Also, don't forget to check out our website, Dr. Jazz Podcast, all one word, drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at NDHJazz. Now, that being said, let's get to some more great music. Don't you leave me here
that, oh, I know that's a cross between a gorilla and a wrangle-tang. A little bit of ring-tailed monkey. Yes, we write an animal review. And another thing I want to tell you people with clothes on. You have tails just the same, but you wear clothes and you can't see them. We're down jungle town for miles around. They used to give up ball every night after Avenue Hall. The band began to play, they began to shout. Oh, I 
I'll sing some scat songs. That was way before Louis Armstrong's time. Uh, by the way, scats is something that uh, a lot of people don't understand, and they, and they begin to believe that the first scat numbers was ever done was done by one of my hometown boys, Louis Armstrong. But I must take the credit away since I know better. The first man that ever did a scat number in history of this country was a man from Vicksburg, Mississippi, by the name of Joe Sims, an old comedian. And from that, Tony Jackson and myself and several more grabbed it in New Orleans and found it was pretty good for an introduction of a song. What does scat mean? Uh, scat doesn't mean anything but just something to give a song a flavor. For instance, we'll say, scat, ski, ski, doodle, ski, scout.
I'll tell you. As I can understand, my folks were in the city of New Orleans long before the Louisiana Purchase. And all my folks came directly from the shores. Or not shores, I mean from France. But it's across the world and the other world. And it landed here in a new world years ago. I remember so far back as my great-grandmother and great-grandfather. Tell us about what their names were, Uh Their names, my great-grandfather's name was Emile Peche. That's a French name. And the grandmother was Mimi Peche. It seems to be all French. And as long as I can remember those folks, they never was able to speak a word in American or English. Did they own slaves? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't think they had no slaves back there in Louisiana. I don't think so. I don't know, but they never spoke of anything like that. Uh, but anyway, uh, my great, my grandmother, her name was Laura. She married a French settler in New Orleans by the name of Henry Monette. That was my grandfather. And either one of them spoke American or English. Well, my grandmother bore sons named Henry, Gus, Neville, and Nellisco, all French names. And she bore the daughters, Louise, and Viola, and Margaret. That was the three daughters. Louise, her eldest, her elder daughter happened to be my mother, Fred Jelly Roll Morton. Of course, I guess you wonder how the name Morton come in. By the name Morton being an English name, it wouldn't sound very much like a French name. But my real name is Ferdinand Lamont. My mother also married one of the French settlers in New Orleans out of a French family, being a contractor. My father was a brick contractor, bricklayer, making large buildings and so forth and so on. We always had some kind of a musical instruments in the house, including guitar, drums, piano, trombone, and so forth and so on, harmonica and juice harp. We had lots of them, and everybody always played for their pleasure, whatever the ones that desired to play. We always had ample time that was given us in periods to rehearse our lessons, which was given to anyone that was desirous in accepting lessons. But of course, the families, never the family, I mean, never had an idea that they wanted musicians in the family to make a living. They always had it in their mind that a musician was a tramp. Other than, uh, other than the exceptions, with the exceptions of uh, the French opera house players, which they always patronized. They only thought there was the great musicians in the country. In fact, I myself was inspired by going to the French opera house once. Because the fact of it was I liked to play piano. And uh, piano was known at that time to be an instrument for a lady. So I had... And in my mind, that uh, if I played piano, I would be misunderstood. 
And perhaps maybe that's the whole thing. Maybe Jelly Roll um, had this notion to, you know, over-exaggerate and bloviate about all of his accomplishments because he didn't want to be thought of as, you know, a sissy because he played the piano. He wanted to make this, he wanted to transform this image of a male piano player into something bold and macho. It wouldn't be unheard of for that period of time. So, who knows? Um, Some great music that we heard there. Um, We heard a little bit about his background and uh, his family history coming from France, or at least his take on that, or one of the takes that he wanted to let Alan Lomax and the Library of Congress know about that. Um, Before that, we heard a great... Uh, tune called the New Orleans Bump, also known as Monrovia. And that was recorded July 10th, 1929. And it had like the growling trumpets and that sort of thing, you know. And it was, you could classify that sound as the jungle sound that made Duke Ellington's orchestra in Harlem at the Cotton Club so very famous, except that Jelly Roll Morton, even previous to that, had uh, pieces like the Jungle Blues, and um, it caused a great rift between Jelly Roll Morton and Duke Ellington, in that um, a lot of people said, Duke Ellington, the great composer, the creator of jungle music in jazz. And Jelly Roll said, no, wait a minute. I had jungle blues way before Duke Ellington even came on the scene. (sighs) Which he wasn't wrong about. But nonetheless, it caused a riff. And then there was the riff between Jelly Roll Morton and W.C. Blues. I'm sorry, W.C. Handy over the blues. And who was like the first originator of the blues and who was the first to really write down the blues and all this other stuff. So, hey, yay, yay. Um, it it, it kind of got to the point where, you know, a lot of, he, he pissed off a lot of people. And that when he did pass away, uh, even though they were in L.A., you know, um, a lot of these cats did not come to Jelly Roll Morton's funeral, um, even though he was, you know, in um, Los Angeles and a lot of these other, you know, great jazz acts worked as well. Duke Ellington was in Los Angeles. Jimmy Lunsford, the great band leader, was in Los Angeles at the time of his funeral in L.A., and they were absent from his funeral. Um, but pallbearers, were none other than Kid Ory, Papa Mutt Carey, the great cornetist, Fred Washington, and Ed Garland. Those are some of the few that were still around and actually went to his funeral. Uh, So yeah, and that was reported in the August 1st, 1941 edition of Downbeat Magazine. Um, If you were looking for a reproduction of that article, uh, look no further than the book entitled Mr. Jelly Roll. Uh, that is a biography of the great Jelly Roll Morton by Alan Lomax 
and with Jelly Roll Morton's words. A lot of them are from these Library of Congress tapes that we're hearing right now within this podcast in Jelly Roll Morton's own words. Um, yeah, I mean, go figure. Just such a controversial figure. It, it's it's fascinating. It really is. Uh, so, okay, so we heard about Jelly Roll's background. We heard New Orleans bump Monrovia with the growling trumpets and that jungle sound. Then we heard the animule dance, uh, which we actually got to hear Jelly Roll scat singing. You know, and so this is one of those things that it's split in hairs, but, you know, they both came from New Orleans, but the idea of scat singing is originally credited to the great Louis Armstrong from the Heebie Jeebies record. And he said that supposedly what happened in the studio was they were recording Heebie Jeebies and the sheet music with the words fell to the ground and they were recording. And so Louis just kind of went into action and mouthed syllables um, or sang syllables like he would play notes on the trumpet. And he goes, oh, that's just something we used to do all the time in New Orleans, you know. Well, okay. So the first recorded version was Louis Armstrong and the Heebie-Jeebies record. I'll give you that. But Louis has said in interviews that, oh, that's just something that we used to do all the time in New Orleans. Well, who was around in New Orleans previous to Louis? Well, that would have been Jelly Roll Morton. So did this idea of scat singing originate with Jelly Roll Morton? Or was it, you know, one of those spasm bands, as they called them, that were playing on the street corners and stuff like that in New Orleans. It's debatable. So uh, there's some great books uh, that deal with some of the early jazz history. Um, Daniel Hardy's got some. They're kind of controversial. I personally lean a little bit more towards the great Gunther Schuller. He has two just essential books on jazz history, one called The Swing Era, but... uh, one before that called Early Jazz. And in fact, Gunther Schuller says that, regarding Jelly Roll Morton, that his hyperbolic assertions, um, that there is no proof to the contrary, and that Jelly Roll Morton's considerable accomplishments in themselves provide reasonable substantiation. So, there you go. I mean, that's from the great Gunther Schuller. Good stuff. So, and then we opened up the set previous to the animal dance with Don't You Leave Me Here, which was recorded on the Commodore label, or I'm sorry, the Complete General Recordings, but this on a Commodore label CD that I've got here. And Don't You Leave Me Here was on General Record 4005, with just piano and vocal, recorded December 16th, 1939. So, interesting. We have 10 years difference between 1929 and the New Orleans bump, Monrovia, and 1939 with Don't You Leave Me Here. All right. Lots of great music here on this wonderful spotlight of the great... Ferdinand 
Jelly Roll Morton. You are listening to the Dr. Jazz Podcast. Remember, you can find the Dr. Jazz Podcast wherever you find all your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Feel free to leave us a comment. Also, check out our website for all of the tracks and album art for each episode of the podcast. That's Dr. Jazz Podcast, D-R-J-A-Z-Z Podcast.wordpress.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at MDHJazz. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to some more great music from the master, the maestro, Jelly Roll Morton.
I thought I heard Buddy Bolden say. That is one of the greatest songs in the entire jazz canon. And of course it was written by the great Jelly Roll Morton about the man who is infamously known to have started jazz, uh, Buddy Bolden, Cornetus Buddy Bolden from New Orleans. And unfortunately there are no records of him playing. Now there is a myth, it's like a an old wives tale or a you know one of those urban legends that there is a an Edison cylinder somewhere of Buddy Bolden recorded and here's the thing I've been to New Orleans more times than you can shake a stick at a red stick <laughs> and the thing about it is even if somebody did have it in a basement or an attic or something like that and they didn't even know they had it the humidity and the temperatures and the floods and the hurricanes, especially since Katrina, that have ravaged that town. There is no way that that has survived. I will be the most shocked person ever if I hear a Buddy Bolden recording before I die. So, um, that being said, it adds to the legend of Buddy Bolden. Now, before we get into that, let's give credit where credit is due. That was recorded in, let's see, September 14th, 1939. And the thing about that is it was by Jelly Roll Morton's New Orleans Jasmine, which consisted of, of course, Jelly Roll Morton on the piano, Albert Nicholas great clarinet player, Claude Jones, Happy Caldwell, Lawrence Lucci, Sidney DeParis, Wellman Bro on the bass. I mean, Wellman Bro, man. Wellman Bro. Mm, mm, mm. Zooty Singleton on the drums. And Zooty played with Pops. Zooty played with Louis Armstrong. Wellman Bro played with Duke Ellington. Come on, right? This is a killer group. Not to mention, if you were listening closely, you heard a soprano saxophone zipping up and down, zipping up and down, and that was none other than the greatest soprano saxophone player ever. Talking about Sidney Bechet. Yeah, that's Sidney Bechet. So, I mean, as far as... New Orleans lore goes, man. Jelly Roll played with some of the best. Kid Ori, Sidney Bechet, Zooty Singleton, Wellman Bro, Johnny St. Cyr, the Dodds Brothers, Baby Dodds, Johnny Dodds. I mean, Omer Simeon. Oh, it's just so good. The music's just so good. So, yeah, killer band there. And a killer song on top of that. Um, now... Before that, we heard The Pearls, which is by far one of the most complete and genius compositions by the great Jelly Roll Morton. It, it has like all these sections and that trio section at the end, right? That third section. It's just, he start, he's using major seven chords and he's got this, it, it all goes down. I mean, music, especially coming out of New Orleans from New Orleans artists at this time, was just like loud, 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 loud. 
you know, you think about brass bands, and you think about, you know, those social and pleasure clubs that were just like loud brass bands, and you talk about like the funeral marches, and you think about how loud Louis Armstrong was and King Oliver, you know, doing all those wah-wahs, and they said that Buddy Bolden's horn was so loud that you could hear it for blocks, and every time he threw open the window and he was playing his cornet, it was like he was calling his children home. Now, you compare that and contrast that with this trio section of the pearls, which is so sotto voce. It's so soft. And yet you have boom, 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 right? He's turning the whole music on its ear, man. Let's don't forget this. It's just, it's ingenious. And it's one of the greatest songs ever, The Pearls. And then we opened up with Big Lip Blues. Another one from those last recording sessions on General Records. And it's just, man, it's a, it's just a beautiful blues. It really is. Uh, I used to have a, a trad jazz group called the Voodoo Saints and uh, that I was in. And man, we used to play the hell out of some big lip blues. It was just, it was gorgeous. And, um, and a couple of other Jelly Roll tunes. But getting back to Buddy Bolden, you know, there was just a, a recently a feature film on the life of Charles Buddy Bolden. And um, it was by Wynton Marsalis. And he had a lot to do with that. And on top of that, uh, he scored uh, uh, some original music, you know. Uh, for that film, plus he recorded some some great covers of the you know songs from the period of time. So if you haven't checked out that movie, I highly highly encourage it. There's also a a book about you know in search of Buddy Bolden, the mysteries surrounding Buddy Bolden by um, I believe it's Daniel Marquis. I could be wrong about the first name, but it's Marquis, and um, that's a great book too. You should totally like check out your library or just buy the book, you know, just to have it on you. Um, but that being said, getting back to the point of Jelly Roll and Buddy Bolden is that Jelly Roll said, no, 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 see, Buddy Bolden was a great player, but he was playing ragtime on his horn. I invented jazz. He was playing ragtime. And, I mean, they both eventually came together, but, see, you can't credit him as the originator of jazz because he was playing ragtime. But I, the great Jelly Roll Morton, was the first to play jazz because I invented it. Okay. So, <laughs> splitting hairs there, man. We're splitting hairs. But rather than blow, me bloviate about Buddy Bolden, why don't we hear Jelly Roll Morton talk about Buddy Bolden? Thank 
In other words, the tune is, uh, I thought I heard Buddy Bowling say, and the whole town would know that Buddy was there. And in a few seconds, why, the parks would start to get filled. It was nothing for Buddy to throw any place that you could hear his horn during those times. Oh, I heard him, I heard him up until he went to the crazy house. Later he went to the crazy house, but I had a, uh, an opportunity to be in the in the Jackson Hall once when he was playing at some matinee, a holiday. And there was a man standing at the stationary bar, a little bit of short fellow, seemingly he was sick, had rheumatism, and a great big husky guy steps on his foot, and I was just between them, and they got in an argument, and a little bit of guy. Didn't want to stand but just pulled out a great big gun almost as long as he was old. And shot, and if I hadn't pulled my stomach back, he'd have shot me in the stomach. He killed this guy. Laying on the floor, and my goodness, Buddy Bolton started blazing the way he was up on the up on the balcony bandstand. And started to blazing away for all it was worth in order to try to keep the crowd together. I realized it was a killing, and many others did too, and we started breaking out windows, just going all through the doors. They always had a policeman, one policeman, all, at all dances, two sometimes, run over the policemen and everything. After I got on the outside, I felt that I was safe, so I decided that I'd look and see what would happen. After a while, the patrol pulled up, they took the dead man, and they laid him in the bottom of the patrol wagon. And they, finally, here comes the little man that shot him, the little crippled man that is uh, full of rheumatism. And later on, they put Buddy Bolden in the patrol. And I've often wondered, why would they put Mr. Bolden in that patrol? And he was up there trying to blow the nose to keep everything quiet. And I was right there and seen the man got killed. Why did Buddy Bowling go crazy? Why, I tell you, they claim that Buddy Bowling went crazy because he really blew his brains through the trumpet. He's the blowingest man that ever lived since Gable. <laughs> he was really a great man at that, but he didn't play jazz. He was a ragtime player. Where'd he come from? Uh, Buddy Bowling was a New Orleans boy. As far as I know. A Negro? He was a Negro, yes. Right in New Orleans. Dark or? No, no, he was a, he was light complexed. He was what you call a, a light brown skinned boy. Did he drink hard? Drank all the whiskey he could find or anybody else could find. And the funny thing about those guys in those days, a musician didn't think he was a good musician if he had a collar and tie on, he wouldn't wear a collar and tie. He'd have his shirt busted wide open, every button open, and have a red flannel undershirt so the girls could see it. And that was a great fan. The girls went and how did they go for those red undershirts? <laughs>
Honey, there's one thing that I must know If you could ease my feelings off Why, oh, won't you kindly tell me why You always leave me high and dry Boys, attention, dear. You know I want you near me. Oh, hear me. Well, you could be so awfully pleasing if you'd stop your teasing. If you do, I'll be true, true and true. Why won't you captivating? Why? Are you so aggravating and so mean? Must I always keep on waiting, sweet? You know there's lots of kissing we're missing. So I would like to hear you say, let's go and see the parson. Why don't you, honey, won't you tell me why? a dirty dozen. I really think this originated in Chicago. I heard this tune about 1908 when I happened to be in Chicago. It seems like uh, Chicago had been uh, started to be a, beginning to be a freakish center. It seems like there was a lot of sayings about what different people would be doing in an uncultured way sex appeal. So I heard that song then. Home, you dirty motherfucker, you old cocksucker, you dirty son of a bitch, you bastard, you everything. And your mama don't wear no drawers. Yeah, she did me this, you did me that, you did your father, you did your mother. Did everybody you come to cause your mammy don't wear no drawers? That's the dirty dozen. All the dirty loving dozen. The dirty dozen. Yes, your mammy don't wear no drawers. Several of them. 
and they sing it right over and over. They say all kinds of verses, some of them meant something, some of them didn't have any rhymes, some didn't, so forth and on. So I had a bitch, wouldn't fuck me cause she had the itch. Yes, she's my bitch. All oh, your mammy wouldn't wear no drawers. The main theme was the mammy wouldn't wear no drawers. I thought it was a very disgusting mammy that wouldn't wear some underwear. Said you dirty motherfucker, you old cocksucker, you dirty son of a bitch. Oh, everything you know, all oh, your low bitch. Yes, and everything you knew. Yes, baby. Mr. Jelly, you so grand. 
dying to turn my damper down. What do you mean by saying you had stovepipes in your hands? Well, stovepipes, I don't know. It was one of these kind of a things, you know, very warm, hot hips. So the people automatically named it. But my original title for this tune was the Chicago Blues. I'll now try to see if we can do a little bit of it. interesting so we got to actually hear jelly roll morton's take on why and how he got the nickname jelly roll morton because that's a question that i'm sure you've probably been wondering like how in the world did he get a name like jelly roll morton you know when this guy's birth name was ferdinand lamoth <laughs> well we kind of got the morton thing answered that makes sense because he didn't want to bring uh, disgrace and disdain to his family name. So he changed Lamotte to Morton. But where do we drop the Ferdinand or Ferd and get Jelly Roll? Well, it's not, uh, you know, you know, General Cream Puff or whatever in that uh, vaudeville kind of uh, comedy act with his buddy. That's his take. That's probably a lot more of an innocent take. Uh, if you watch the Ken Burns series on jazz uh, that was featured on PBS, Stanley Crouch um, said that Jelly Roll got his nickname from playing in the sporting houses, and he was actually a professor there, as we've discussed before earlier in the podcast, and that... There is a certain situation, a certain sexual uh, situation that the woman, you know, basically does things to a man and, you know, he was known as a pimp, so he was known as King Jelly Roll. So there's that 
And then there's also the thing that we mentioned at the top of the podcast that jelly roll is, you know, uh, black slang for female genitalia. Well, that kind of goes more hand in hand with that one. So we've had three, you know, answers to that question <laughs> and two go along more in the same vein than the one that Jelly Roll gave. So you can choose to believe whatever you want to believe. So there you have it. Um, before that, and that was a great segue into that question, is we heard the track Mr. Jelly Lord. Because, you know, he, like I said, Jelly Roll Morton is not a shy individual. And so he is literally singing a song with lyrics about himself. You know, in foreign lands across the sea, they not a man for bravery. Make him a duke or a count, you see. You know, must be a member of the royalty. So that was the snub, like Count Basie and especially Duke Ellington, who he, I, I mentioned just previous. He had a um, kind of a, a riff or a row with. And so he wanted to be a lord, Mr. Jelly Lord, you know. Uh <laughs> Uh, it's just, man, just the ego on this guy. That's what I'm saying. Like, he is the very first Kanye. And this guy had, like, a diamond, you know, encrusted in his front tooth. I mean, this guy was just, and he was a pimp, and he was, like, a hustler, and he was, like, this jazz genius, and he wanted to be, you know, seen as macho. He did not want to be seen as in any way effeminate because he was a piano player. <sighs> yeah, this it's crazy. So, and um, that's actually a good segue into the song that we heard before, Mr. Jelly Lord. We heard The Dirty Dozen, and that comes again from the um, Alan Lomax recordings of, for the Library of Congress, in which Jelly Roll Morton is talking about how, you know, the main theme was that the mammy didn't wear no draws, you know. And then he goes on this, like, tirade, talking about all these... Um, very lewd and blue situations, so to speak. And, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, that's the thing. Something tells me that that was exactly how Jelly Roll Morton was. That's how he talked. That's how he was. You know, he was one of those tough guys, you know, who was a musician. No doubt about it. And there's more where that came from. Believe me. And we're going to talk about that, too. Um, but then we opened up the set with, uh, why? Which is just this beautiful ballad that he just sang. Um, and it came from those general recordings, his last recordings as well, around 1939. Um, it's, it's a great tune. It's got some great chords in it, and it's a great structure. And it's a tune that should be covered a lot more, but unfortunately it's not. Um, one of my favorite renditions of that tune, besides... Jellero Morton's rendition of the tune, obviously because it's his tune, is the great Leon Redbone. So, and you know he's got that very sardonic style of of uh, vocalizing, and he's just like, "Why? Won't you kind of tell me why?" So, and if you're not familiar with Leon Redbone, you may know him better as uh, the Snowman in the movie Elf with Will Ferrell, Bob Newhart, and Zoe Deschanel, who also sings some jazz. Don't let her fool you. She's a really good jazz singer. 
and yeah and then we we started off by hearing like i said um jelly roll morton's take on the great buddy bolden so before we got to why so um yeah something about that so in this last set of music um we've got the wine and boy blues which used to be one of jelly roll's nicknames as well whether that's when he was as a professor in the whorehouses or when that was he, he was a pimp i'm not sure but one of his many nicknames was the wine and boy which was short for the winding boy so and i think that that was a very sexual term for like a sexual situation and i mean yeah so he's going to be talking about that in detail and uh, then we've got Make Me a Pallet on the Floor that we're going to hear, which is, oh, God, it's it's been through so many different incarnations. It's also known as the Atlanta Blues by W.C. Handy. But, of course, Jelly Roll Morton claims, stakes to the claim that he wrote it first as Make Me a Pallet on Your Floor. It was a New Orleans standard. God knows all of those New Orleans players like George Lewis and, you know, Kid Chic and Punch Miller, and all those cats, you know, they have played Make Me a Pallet on Your Floor. Um, Emmanuel Sales, yeah, all those cats that are just like the unsung ones, the ones that you find on American music by like George S. Buck and the Jazzology label, like those great recordings, you know, Bunk Johnson, oh, yeah, all that stuff, right? Wooden Joe Nicholas, man. Yeah. All those players. They they are playing stuff like Make Me a Pallet on Your Floor right alongside Ball and the Jack and, you know, all those things. Do what Ori say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know. And so it is definitive it is a definitive trad jazz standard. And something tells me that for the record dates they always sang the clean as a whistle lyrics. But when you got into the after hours gigs, those lyrics got a little bit more lewd, a little bit more badass, a little bit more sexual, and a whole lot dirtier. And Jelly Roll, at this point in time with the Library of Congress recordings with Alan Lomax, definitely had a belly full of whiskey. And he just let it all fly he didn't give a damn at this point so that's what we're going to hear so prepare yourself and uh yeah don't forget you can check out the dr jazz podcast where you find all your podcasts so feel free to subscribe we'd love to have you you can find them at apple Podcasts, stitcher and soundcloud feel free to leave a comment we'd love to hear from you also check out our website that's got all of the album art and song titles so you know exactly what to get if you find a track that you like you know and by all means if you can support your local record store in these times please do so and if not then you know exactly what to order okay and that website where you can find all that information per episode is dr jazz podcast d r j a z z podcast dot wordpress Com. And then you can also follow us on Twitter to know when each new podcast drops. And you can follow us at NDHJazz. We'd love to have you. So w- without that 
you know, all that being said for the PSA, here is the last set in this beautiful spotlight on the rogue Mr. Jelly Roll Morton. Enjoy. to be one of my first tunes in the blues line down in New Orleans in the very early days when people first started playing piano in that section. Of course, when a man played piano, the stamp was on him for life, the femininity stamp. And I didn't want that on, so of course, when I did start to playing, the songs were kind of smutty a bit. Not so smutty, but something like this. I'm the white and bald Don't deny my name Oh, the white and bald Don't deny my name I'm the wine and ball. Don't deny my name. I can pick it up and shake it like stays and chains. I'm the wine and ball. Don't deny my name. I had that girl. I had her in the grass I had that bitch Had her in the grass Yes, baby I had that bitch Had her in the grass one day she got scared and a snake ran up her big ass. Yes, I'm the wine and ball. Don't deny money. I had that bitch had her on the stump. I had that bitch, had her on the stump. I had that bitch and had her on the stump. I fucked her till her pussy stunk. I'm the one and Niggas worth a beefsteak and a dime's worth a lawn. Lord, Lord, Lord. Niggas worth a beefsteak and a dime's worth a lawn. Yes, baby. Niggas worth a beefsteak. Dime's 
there's a Lord, I'm gonna salivate. Your pussy tell my Peter get hard. I'm the wedding ball. Don't deny my name. Every time the changing of the moon. Every time the changing of the moon Yes, baby Every time the changing of the moon The blood comes rushing from the bitches' moon I'm the one and ball Don't deny my fucking I want about ten bitches to myself. I want about ten sweet bitches to myself. I want about ten sweet bitches to myself. The one I like, I'm gonna keep a fool myself. Wine and bar, don't deny my fucking name. Long, long ways from 
poor boy from home I'm gonna try to never roam or roam I'm a white and boy, don't deny my fucking name This, one was, this was one of the early blues. That was in New Orleans. I guess many years before I was born. The title is Make Me a Pallet on the Floor. A pallet is something that you get some quilts. In other words, it's a bed that's made on the floor without any four posts on it. Palette is something uh, uh, that I can define in New Orleans. For instance, you have company come to your home, and you haven't enough beds for you and your company. So what you do in order to get them to spend the night over is to make yourself a pallet on the floor. So you'll say to your guest, you'll say to your guest, uh, well, you can stay overnight. Uh, it's perfectly all right, you, my friend. And I think it's rather dangerous. During that time, there was a lot of kidnappers in New Orleans, and there was no law against it, but only that you had the privilege to kill them. It's rather dangerous, so maybe you better stay overnight. And uh, you sleep in my bed, and I'll make me a pallet on the floor. So that, that's where the word pallet originated from. I don't think it's in the dictionary, though. Well, what about the woman when she has a man in her bed and she doesn't want her husband to smell him when he comes home. Isn't that where it comes from, too? Well, I tell you, uh, when, when a woman has got a man and she don't want her husband to know anything about it, it is very often, it has been known, that from time and time again, that the hard-working men in New Orleans have searched the women's underwear for stains and spots and so forth and so on. And sometimes they search the bed for stains and spots and so forth and so on. So in order to eliminate that, in that case, if they're sure that the, the gentleman is on the job, so they make a pallet on the floor in that case also. So so here's a, the words to some of this thing. Make me a pallet on your floor. Make me a pallet on your floor. Make me a pallet, babe, on your floor. So your man will never know. Are you sure your man is hard at work? Are you sure, sweet baby, your man is hard at work? Are you sure, sweet mama, baby? 
Your man is that way. Don't you let that dirty, no good son of a bitch shake. I want to pitch some Peter with you today, baby. I want to pitch some Peter with you today, baby. Some Peter with you today, baby. baby. I want to pitch some Peter with you today. I want to pitch some Peter, baby, with you today. So with your man, you will not stay, Yes, make me, baby, a pallet on your floor, Lord, 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 Lord. Make me a pallet on your floor. Make me a palace, so your man will never know. Make me a palace, a palace on your floor. Baby, I need some money to get my suit out of pawn. Baby, I need some money to get my suit out of pawn, Bitch, if you don't give me some money to get my suit out of pawn, you wish today that you never, never was born, Lord.
come here. You sweet fish, let me get in your drawers. I'm remembering them things now. Come here, you sweet fish. Let me get in your drawers. Come here, you sweet bitch. Give me that pussy. Let me get in your drawers. I'm gonna make you think you fucking with Sandy Claus. You got the best cunt I ever had. Got the best cut I ever had. I said, bitch, you got the best cut I ever had. I said, sweet bitch, baby, you got the best cut I ever had. Maybe it was that all I got. Was always bad. I put that bitch right on the stump. I set that bitch right on the stump, Lord, Lord, Lord. I set my bitch, baby. Right on the stone I screwed a teller pussy stone If your man knew I had that big prick in you If your man knew I had that big prick in you Lord, 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 Lord. If that man knew, babe, I had that big brick in you, what do you think that dirty, no good son of a bitch would do? I would tell him to kiss my fucking ass. I will tell him to kiss my fucking ass. I will tell him, baby, to kiss my fucking ass. Just is so long as you kiss an ass with last. Do you love me, baby, the way I grind you so? <laughs> Do you love me, baby, the way I grind you so? Lord, Lord, Lord. Do you love the way I grind you? And I grind you so? 
Tell me, baby, that your man will never know, Lord, Lord, Lord. Always make it, babe, that pallet on your floor, Lord, 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 Lord. Make me your pallet on your floor, Lord, 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 Lord. Make me a palace on your floor, so that dirty, no good son of a bitch will ever know. When I first had you, I knew you was my bitch. Anytime I fuck a bitch, I know she's my bitch. Anytime I fuck a bitch, I know she's my bitch. Just anytime I fuck my bitch, I know she's my bitch. But all I ask you to do. Don't tell your dirty, no good son of a bitch. Tell me, baby, don't you like the way I grind? Tell me, baby, don't you like the way I grind? Tell me, baby, baby, don't you like the way I grind? If you do, baby, let me get a little from behind. She said, baby, you know I like the way you grind from my wine. She said, baby, you know I like your grind from my wine. You know I like your grinding, baby, from the way I wine. That's the reason why I'm going to let you get a little bit from behind. Would you throw your legs way up in the air? Would you throw your legs way up in the air? Baby, throw your legs way up in the air. So I can take this big prick and put every bit right there. Yes, this whiskey's good. Throw your legs up like a great church steeple. Throw your legs up like a great church steeple. <laughs> oh, my goodness, whiskey. 
Throw your legs up like a church steeple So I can think I'm fucking all the people Throw your legs up like a great church steeple Baby, it's been a pleasure in me fucking you Baby, it's been a pleasure in me fucking you Baby, it's been a pleasure, baby, in me fucking you Baby, it's been a pleasure in me fucking you Now get me a towel, get it dripping well. Bring me a towel, bring it dripping well. Just bring me a towel, just bring it dripping well. You the fuckingest bitch. Yes, baby, I ever met. and stripes forever only in america could somebody like jelly roll morton be jelly roll morton and prevail for that like i said we heard make me a pallet on the floor and before that the whining boy blues with blue lyrics and all and in fact all of these were recorded for the library of congress in may 19 19- 38 by Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax invited Jelly Roll Morton to record music and interviews for the Library of Congress. And the sessions were intended to be just a short interview with a couple of musical examples for researchers at the Library of Congress. And his intention was to really talk more about the ribald blues songs at the time in the Storyville District. But the section, this whole session expanded over eight hours with Morton talking and playing the piano and drinking whiskey and he Lomax conducted even longer interviews taking notes but not necessarily recording and that helped lead to the book Mr. Jelly Roll by Alan Lomax which you should all check out 
uh, the thing about it is that due to the, sug the suggestive nature of these songs, which, by the way, Jelly Roll was re reluctant to have these recorded, but Alan Lomax is the one who obliged him. You know, he's uh, er, he said, no, 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 come on, come on, come on. You know, go ahead, show us exactly what it was like. Jelly Roll Morton obliged, you know, Lomax's request. So due to the suggestive nature of those songs and all of the blue lyrics that you just heard, those sessions that were recorded in 1938, that was before World War II, in case you're keeping record, was not released by the Library of Congress until 2005. So there you have it, 2005. So, and then these interviews were released uh, in a, as a box set and actually won two Grammy Awards. And during the exact same year, 2005, Jellero Morton was finally honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. So, and it, it, it's worth noting because you know, he needs to be recognized and remembered. He was also inducted into the Louisiana Music Hall of Fame in 2008 and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, finally. A little bit of due for Mr. Jelly Roll. So hopefully you've enjoyed all of these great songs, stories, sessions, and uh, you can be the judge of whether you... You know, dig Jelly Roll, whether you hate Jelly Roll, whether you think he's just a rogue or whatever have you. So it's up to you to decide. I love the music. I love the stories. Because like New Orleans, it's a sordid affair. Nothing's black and white, right? There's always a little bit more extra drama. And like we have a saying down south, which really applies to Jelly Roll Morton, why well, let the truth get in the middle of a good story? Right? Right. Well, with that said, thank you so much for listening. We do love you madly. And now, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in jazz, we trust. <laughs>